five strange and creepy missing persons cases. Thousands of people go missing every day all across the world, and some of these cases are too strange to ignore. The five stories on this list provide some of the more mysterious disappearances in the last several decades. These are five strange and creepy missing persons cases. Number five, Martin Allen. On November 5th, 1979, 15-year-old Martin Allen was traveling home in the London Underground. He had plans to see his older brother, but needed to go home to their cottage on the grounds of the Australian High Commission to get some money. At 3.50 p.m., Martin said goodbye to school friends at the King's Cross station and headed to the Piccadilly Line platform to get home from there. Martin never did make it to his destination that day, and even now, nobody knows where he is or what exactly happened to him. As news of Martin's disappearance spread, the investigation grew and a large-scale operation soon followed. Despite being on a train line with several potential witnesses, only one person reported seeing an anxious-looking teen matching Martin's description. He was seen together with a 30-something blonde male who had his arms around the boy. The witness overheard the man telling the teen not to try and run, and the two were last seen leaving Earl's Court Station. This was the only eyewitness testimony reported in Allen's disappearance. An identikit was created describing the boy and the man, but no one has come forward with any additional information. The case was reopened in 2012 with police suspecting Martin's disappearance could be tied to the child abuse scandal at Elm Guest House back in the 1970s and 80s. Elm House was a place known for being the center of a child abuse scandal over a prolonged period of time. Two other missing boys were believed to have been abducted and brought here, so police speculated Martin could have possibly become a victim as well. Suspiciously, reports about the Elm Guest House and the pedophile ring were stopped out of legal threats from the Attorney General. After this, any investigation was kept under wraps and not made public. In 1981, Martin's father proclaimed they believed his son might have been abducted by a gang of child pornographers and taken to another country where he was forced to take part in films. This was an unusual remark to make at the time since no concrete proof of a pedophile ring had existed and the Scotland Yard didn't even have a dedicated unit for such crimes yet. Eventually, Elm Guest House was raided. Authorities did find a video suite where pornographic films were made of boys being sexually abused. Despite the supposed investigation, no concrete evidence linking Martin's abduction and the pedophile ring was ever established. Today, the family still has no clue what happened to Martin. His brother Kevin, already a father with two kids of his own, says he still thinks often of his brother. He concedes, I've known for 33 years that Martin wasn't ever going to come back. I just want the people who are responsible to be brought to justice. Number 4. Leah Roberts Leah Roberts lived most of her life in Durham, North Carolina. After losing her parents and experiencing a near-fatal car crash herself, she was feeling like she needed a break. She quit school and indulged her spiritual searching through poetry and writing. On March 9, 2000, she spoke to her sister Kara about her future plans. Later in the afternoon, Leah's roommate couldn't find her or her 1993 white Jeep Cherokee at home. She simply figured at the time that Leah had gone out and thought nothing of it. The following day, though, she still hadn't shown up for a babysitting appointment and hadn't returned home. On the 13th, her sister finally reported her missing. 
When Kara and Leah's roommate searched her room, they found most of her clothes were missing. They also discovered a letter from her stating, I'm not suicidal, I'm the opposite. She reassured her sister and friend she would be back and mentioned Kerouac and left money to pay for the room rent and expenses, indicating that she would be back eventually. Since Leah had given Kara power of attorney before leaving, Kara tracked her financial records. Leah had taken thousands of dollars from her account on March 9th then used her debit card to pay for a hotel, gas, and food in various locations, suggesting she was traveling west along the I-40 highway. Her sister tried to find an answer for her sister's actions and spoke to her friend, Janine Quiller, and she said Leah was taken by Kerouac's book, The Dharma Bums, where the author once worked in the Cascade Mountains in Washington. She said Leah wanted to see the view herself and decided to go there. On March 18th, Kara got a call, hoping that it was Leah, but instead it was the Durham Sheriff's Office. That morning, a couple jogging in the remote Washington forest area found discarded clothes by the side of the road. Then, there on a steep embankment, was Leah's Jeep. It was heavily damaged and police estimated the vehicle to be traveling at around 40 miles an hour before it rolled into the embankment. Inside the vehicle, there was no sign of blood or that anyone was even in it while it rolled over. Lee's clothes were inside and $2,500 in cash was found in one of her jean pockets. Curiously, blankets were placed on the broken windows, as if someone had used the vehicle as shelter for some time. During the investigation, they discovered Leah arrived in Whatcom County on March 13th, since she had tickets to a screening of American Beauty at the local mall. Close to the theater was a sit-down restaurant where some patrons remembered seeing Leah, saying that she spoke about Kerouac and her plans. At least one man said she left with a guy whose name was Barry. However, none of the other people in the restaurant recalled seeing this mysterious individual. For years, the case went cold, but her sister asked police to preserve the vehicle. In 2006, a new detective examined the Jeep and discovered the car's starter delay wire had been cut. This would have allowed the car to speed up into the embankment even if no one was inside. They also found a fingerprint underneath the hood. The investigation then led them back to the man who claimed to have seen Leah with the man named Barry at the restaurant. His background was former military and he was also a mechanic, however the fingerprints didn't match his. They're still looking for suspects to match the acquired male DNA from her clothes and the fingerprint. Leah's friends and family believe she was either killed elsewhere and her vehicle dumped or she may have survived the crash but may have amnesia or other mental problems. They are also not discounting the fact that Leah might have staged her death to live like her hero, Kerouac. Even now, the family is still hopeful they'll find answers someday. Number 3. Jeremy Bright In August of 1986, Jeremy Bright went to Myrtle Point, Oregon with his sister, Esty, to attend the Coos County Fair. It had been a yearly affair for the siblings since they had lived in Myrtle Point prior to moving to Grants Pass. Not only were they looking forward to the fair, but they wanted to catch up with friends and family who still lived there. By August 13th, the siblings headed out, stuffing themselves with food, enjoying the rides, and hanging out with friends. At 4.45, Jeremy called his mother to ask her to pick him and his sister up on August 15th. He told her they were having a great time at the fair. Later that night at 9.40, Jeremy visited a local tavern owned by his grandmother. His stepfather, Ollie, frequently hung out there with his buddies. 
The two caught up. Jeremy borrowed some money from Ollie. But this would be the last time he would ever see Jeremy ever again. The next day, on August 14th, the siblings went to the fair for the second time around 2 p.m. They each had friends to hang out with, so they split up and agreed to meet each other by the Ferris wheel at 5 p.m. Esty showed up, but Jeremy was nowhere to be found. The following day, their mother arrived at Myrtle Point to pick them up. When she got to the apartment, she found Jeremy's wallet, house keys, and new watch. Police were called, and initially they thought Jeremy might have run away. However, after they interviewed friends and family, they realized he wasn't the type to leave, especially without ever telling his sister anything since they were so close. The Coos County Fair ended, and soon the town was buzzing with rumors on what had happened to the bright boy. One rumor talked of Jeremy attending a party and giving a beer laced with a powerful drug causing him to overdose. Another was about how he got into a scuffle with local teenagers and was severely injured. They tried to nurse him in a cabin, but he died and they buried him instead. Yet another came from the sister of Jeremy's best friend, Cecilia Fish. She told police she and a friend spotted someone wandering the streets covered in blood, but she wasn't sure whether it was Jeremy or not. Another spoke of a man named Terry Steinhoff, who had previously babysat Jeremy and his sister while they were young. It said Jeremy was last seen sitting in the passenger seat of Steinhoff's car. Years later, Steinhoff was actually arrested for stabbing a woman named Patricia Morris. Police believe he may have done the same to Jeremy, but Steinhoff never admitted anything to the police. He later died in prison in 2007, and to this day, Jeremy Bright is still missing. Number 2. Larry Hillblom Larry Hillblom is one of the men responsible for creating the DHL empire. Born and raised in Kingsburg, California, he graduated with a law degree. He then worked for a while before co-founding DHL in 1969, and as the company grew, he became a billionaire. Aside from his high intelligence, Hillblom was described by friends and family as eccentric. He was also a private person and liked to keep his personal affairs away from prying eyes. By the 80s, he had moved to Saipan to live there. Business partners thought it was a brilliant move to avoid paying tax dollars, but it seemed there was much more to the story. Hillblom's life in Asia saw him starting various business ventures, but on the side, he also had indiscriminate affairs with mostly underaged Asian women. Aside from running businesses, he was also an avid plane enthusiast. He owned multiple vintage planes and flew them, although he had never gotten a professional pilot's license. On May 21, 1995, while flying his seaplane from Pagan Island to Saipan, the plane crashed, although the circumstances as to why and how remain a mystery. Over time, the wreckage was found, two bodies were discovered, that of pilots Robert Long and Jesus Mafnas, but Larry Hillblom's body was never discovered. Soon a battle for inheritance ensued. Hillblom left behind an estimated worth of $600 million in his estate. In his will, he said that the money was to be donated to the University of California, San Francisco. There were no children named in his will, but he did not include a disinheritance clause, which would have prevented illegitimate children from claiming any of his will. Eventually, women started coming forward from various Asian and Pacific countries stating Hillblom not only committed statutory rape, but also fathered their children. In Saipan, where Hillblom was based, the law stated children, illegitimate or not, 
would have first right to the estate regardless of any will. As a result, there were eight children claiming to be his. However, matters became mysterious when DNA through paternity was attempted. They never found Hillblom's body in the crash and curiously, all the places in his home where DNA should have been present were wiped clean. The sinks and baths were treated with acid to rid of DNA and his personal belongings like clothes, toothbrushes and the like were buried in dirt in his backyard. Then, a facial mole Hillblom had removed through surgery before was thought to be of use, but when this was examined, it later proved to not belong to Hillblom at all. The lawyers of the illegitimate children soon turned to Hillblom's mother, brother, and half-brother to see if they could provide sample DNA for comparison. If there were similar markers, it would prove they were of Hillblom's. Their DNA proved that four out of the eight claimants were indeed Hillblom's children, and they were awarded $90 million each. The rest of the money then went to the UCSF, as indicated in his will. Curiously, Hillblom had a background in law and served as a special judge in the Sapan High Court. In fact, he was one of the few who signed a law allowing illegitimate children to claim part of an inheritance. Whether Larry died in that plane crash or created an elaborate scheme to escape his life, no one really knows for sure. Number 1. Lynn Schulz On December 10, 1971, 17-year-old Lynn Schulz from Middlebury, Vermont was on the verge of taking her final exams for drama class. It was the first day of exams before Christmas break, and at 12.30 p.m. she was seen stopping by a local health food store called All Good Things. She bought dried prunes and was seen munching on them outside the store while waiting for the bus. She mentioned she was heading to New York and was waiting for the bus, but the bus had already left. By 12.55 p.m., she was seen in her dorm. She left the room to take her final exam, but told her friend she forgot her favorite pen and went back to get it. The exam was held at 1 p.m., but Lynn never showed. At 2.15, she was seen standing in front of the All Good Things store again and the bus stop where she was seen earlier. This was the last time anyone ever saw or heard from the young girl. Although the school was notified two days after she was missing, her parents didn't find out she was gone until a week later. They reported it to the police, and that's when the investigation began. Police initially thought that she went somewhere and would turn up sooner or later, but they found out she left her ID and checkbook inside her dorm room, estimating she only had $30 in cash with her at the time of her disappearance. Although it was reported she had mild depression, it was not thought she was suicidal. Over the years, there has been little evidence or tips regarding her case and eventually it went cold altogether. But the case was reopened in 1992 and since then tips have come in and been looked into. Notably, in 2015 police announced they were looking at millionaire real estate heir Robert Durst as a possible suspect in the disappearance of the girl. All Good Things was owned and operated by Durst and his then wife Kathleen during the time the team went missing. Although Durst hasn't been formally charged, he is a suspect in the disappearance of his wife in New York City in 1982. He is also suspected in various disappearances of young girls from places where he had lived. Robert was charged with the 2001 Texas homicide after he killed, supposedly in self-defense, Morris Black. He was also charged with the murder of his associate and longtime friend, Susan Berman. The case of Lynn Schulz is still open authorities are looking into Durst's possible connection with the missing teen. 
Hopefully, they can find some answers sooner rather than later. So there were five strange and creepy missing persons cases. Missing persons cases are always a tragedy, not just for the victims, but for the families left behind. When they feel like their loved ones were most likely murdered, as is the case in most of these stories, it can leave behind a void that's simply impossible to ever fill. If you like this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel and consider supporting us on Patreon or by buying a shirt. We have new videos coming out every single week for you to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.